here we stand. For me, mid-January as I record this, for you when you're listening, it's early February. Many of us may still be figuring out what this new year is all about. And during such times when we're ambition-seeking, if you will, or goal-setting, it's not uncommon to say, I don't know what I want. And yet we long to get clear on a path forward. I'm in that space as I record this episode today. I'm wanting to better know what do I want for this year? And yet a core principle of sustainable ambition is to make our ambitions our own. Ambitions won't be sustainable in the long term if they aren't ours. If we are just doing shoulds or what others want us to, it won't be sustainable. If we haven't found our own motivation in our ambitions, if we're operating according to others' agenda. But it can be hard to know what we want to be ambitious about or what we want for ourselves, our lives, or for our work. Living in the state of ambiguity can be stressful and hard, but does it have to be? Is there a better way to navigate not knowing, being uncertain, and not having clarity? As we get settled into this year, today I want to offer some ways to navigate ambiguity with a bit more ease and more joy. I'm Kathy Onetto, and this is the Sustainable Ambition Podcast, the show that rethinks traditional beliefs and conventions of success and ambition so we can thrive in life and work. One of the key practices that I leverage to make my own life and work more sustainable is pacing. Some of you know this if you've been listening to the podcast for a while. I have a couple of episodes on the topic. So here I am in the midst of what I call my slow January, which is why I'll admit I'm recording this episode a little late. (laughs) I continue to push it back a bit just because I needed a little bit more space and time to not feel so overloaded and to pace out my work that I've still had to be doing during this month of January. So here we are just one month into the new year. And for me, it feels appropriately so. I'm not a fan of the whole, oh my gosh, we're already at this point in the year. Can you believe things are going so fast? I just feel like that narrative just adds more stress that isn't necessary. And oftentimes when we look back, it feels appropriate that actually quite a bit has passed since the start of the year. And another way of looking at it is we are only just one month in. Now, some of you who have been listening for a while know this about me, that I can get a little persnickety about this, but part of it is because I don't like the feeling that it generates in myself, and I feel like it causes undue stress that just isn't required. But putting that aside, coming back to this January for myself, I decided that I was going to make it a slow beginning of the year all the way back a year ago. When I realized that I didn't like the pace that I was operating at back in January of 2023. So this year, again, I've been ending and starting the year slow and really have kept my focus quite narrow. That has primarily been because I've been working on my book on sustainable ambition, and I am happy to share that I have completed my first full manuscript. 
this is a big ambition and this is a big milestone um, of completion in this journey. It's nowhere near complete, <laughs> but this is no small feat. Uh, so I will admit that. So I allowed myself to get really focused on what needed to get complete during this time, focused my attention on that as well as downtime during the holidays, as well as enjoying it with my family and friends. But I don't know about you. I've also just learned that I need the month of January to fully close out the prior year. I'm usually not done with my prior year by the time 1231 rolls around. And I realize I need the month of January to really allow myself the space and time to complete the prior year and really start to set up what might be next for this coming year. And personally, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I really need this time to move from a state of ambiguity toward more clarity for what I'm going to do in the coming months. So I'm personally still embracing getting settled in and focused for where I'll put my attention and energy in 2024. And this topic of moving from ambiguity to some sort of clarity has been percolating for me over probably 10 or more weeks. And it's not new. I I wrote about this three years ago at the end of 2020 on Thrive Global, where I wrote an article called A Guide to Living and Not Knowing, 15 Lessons to Survive and Thrive During Uncertainty and Growth Stages. But this idea has really been taking shape for me as I reflect back on my own experiences of last year, both across work, my creative work, and my personal life, as well as as I've been seeing patterns across all of the data and information that I've been absorbing over the last several months. I also think this topic of dealing with ambiguity fits well with what Connie Steele shared in the last episode, episode number 124, Navigating the Fluid Future of Work. So in this future of work that is fluid, Connie talked about being water. How can we be more fluid and navigate changing and adjusting who we are, who we want to become, what we want to do in the world, who we want to be? How can we navigate that with a little bit more fluidity and ease? How can we navigate not being on a firm path? How might we float down the river, find the current, navigate along the way? How can we allow ourselves to not always be certain, to allow for certainty in the moment while also learning into what will come? But let me also go back and address, why do I think we need this, this ability to better navigate ambiguity? The primary reason is that most of us want clarity, and yet that clarity can be elusive. I hear from many people, you've even heard it from myself in this episode, but from people that I coach or friends or acquaintances, and the number one thing they are looking for when they're going through moments of inflection points or of change is they seek clarity. They want to know. They want to have confidence in what their next direction will be. And we can struggle feeling stuck in this not knowing what we want and have a lot of angst about getting it right. And why is that? It's because it's costly not to know. There's a reason we really want clarity because for most of us, it can cause stress not to know. And it uses a lot of our mental energy when we don't know. 
generally, our brain prefers to know and to reduce that cognitive load of seeking an answer. This is, again, what I'm feeling right now. I want to settle into a plan for the year that, of course, can change, but I want to, at some point, stop expending mental energy on wondering what I want and where I want to put my energy and focus. At some point, I really do want to land the plane for now. But here's the thing also to consider is that our preferences and our ability to deal with ambiguity can differ. Some of us want that clarity, that predictability, that certainty, but others of us like to keep things open. If anybody is familiar with Myers-Briggs and has done the assessment, the last one is about judging versus perceiving. And people who tend to be in the judging camp, this is myself, tend to be more process-oriented, tend to like to come to a decision and not revisit it and just come to a decision and move forward. Peas, on the other hand, do not like being hemmed in. They like to keep all their options open. And so... It's just to acknowledge that we're not wired all the same way. So some of us may need a little bit more practice with dealing with ambiguity and not knowing. And it's to say that some of us, because of that, our personalities just find more uncertainty and ambiguity more cognitively and emotionally taxing. And so it can lead to us experiencing more anxiety and worry. Our culture doesn't help either. It drives us to know. It drives us to get into a decision and to move quickly. Our society doesn't really like dealing with complexity or operating in a gray zone. I do a lot of work in innovation, and I see this all the time. I see how in certain parts of the process, people are really uncomfortable with this ambiguity, and they want to know and have a solution and want to move right into execution. And yet staying in the space of ambiguity can actually be quite helpful and surprisingly fun. Another reason why it's important to have better tools and strategies to deal with ambiguity is because it's context and situation dependent. I think we often look at each question or situation we're in and think there's only one way or one method of approaching it. And yet, again, the context and situation matters. And these types of questions about, I mean, what I want to do with my life, what do I want to do with my work, these are complex questions. And yet we seem to think they have simple answers. There are a couple models that I've been introduced to over the years that help explore this idea of complexity. One model is called the Kenevan framework. Kenevan is a Welsh word that means habitat. I am stretching this model a little bit to fit this context, but I think it does fit. Because again, there are some problems or circumstances or questions that we might be asking that don't have clear answers. They are complex problems. I'll put a link in the show notes so you can learn more about this framework, and I'm going to cover it in a very high level. The model really looks at on an x-axis, really what is predictable versus what is unpredictable. In times of predictability, the way that the construct of the model is spoken of is this idea of there can be some strategies that are obvious where there are best practices. And these might be 
situations where you know you want to take a particular path. For example, becoming a doctor. I really want to become a doctor. And there is a best practice approach to getting there. That might be one path. On the other side, on the unpredictable side, is when you have these complex challenges where you don't really know, where there's a lot of different options, where cause and effect are not known. You're dealing with more unpredictability. I believe that that's where these questions that we're often asking live in this complexity kind of situation. And it requires us to use different behaviors to navigate those situations. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that as we get further into the episode. Another concept or way of thinking about this is what are called wicked problems. So I'm just going to read from the Wikipedia definition of wicked problems to give you a sense of what this is. Quote, a wicked problem is a problem that is difficult or impossible to solve because of incomplete, contradictory, and changing requirements that are often difficult to recognize. It refers to an idea or problem that cannot be fixed, where there is no single solution to the problem. And wicked denotes resistance to resolution rather than evil. Another definition is a problem whose social complexity means that it has no determinable stopping point. Moreover, because of complex interdependencies, the effort to solve one aspect of a wicked problem may reveal or create other problems. I think this explanation of a wicked problem really covers what I'm trying to explain about life and work decisions that we try to make. It is not uncommon that in making such decisions, we have incomplete information or contradictory factors that we're evaluating and that we are constantly changing. Those requirements are changing. There is no single solution to the problem. There is often for most of us, not one single path that we're going to follow. And I almost think this idea of wicked, this idea of having resistance to resolution, is almost the, <laughs> the world and who we are and our lives telling us, hey, you're going to constantly change. So you may think you're going to have resolution, but you're not. As it says, as a social complexity, there's no determinable stopping point because we our lives and our world around us are constantly changing. And this idea that there are complex interdependencies, we move one thing and it impacts the other. And so it just makes it a complex problem. But I think one way to ease our pain and angst around such decisions is to shift our mindset and to recognize this. Even just this simple shift, that understanding these are complex and wicked problems perhaps can give us a little bit of relief. The final reason we need some tools and ways to deal with ambiguity is because we change in our context changes. We are constantly becoming. It's not uncommon for us to learn new things about ourselves or about our situation that makes us rethink things. Perhaps the story we've been telling ourselves isn't true after all. And this happens all the time. We see it in science, as I talked about in episode 123. And we're no different. I love this quote from Henry Bergson, who was a French philosopher in the late 19th and early 20th century. 
He said, to exist is to change. To change is to mature. To mature is to go on creating oneself endlessly. Our context changes, we change. We learn what we thought was true is no longer true. Life is an ongoing journey of knowing who we are. So while we want clarity, what we often don't realize is that we need tools and strategies to help us better navigate the ambiguity we face as we continue to evolve and grow. So what are ways to get better at living in ambiguity And what are some strategies and tools we can use to find a level of clarity for now to allow us to move forward? I'm going to share five strategies or methods with you today, and I offer them as things to practice with, things to play with. That's what I'm going to be doing myself. The first one is the concept of living into questions. So instead of setting goals, instead of being declarative about what you want to do, what if you were to frame these as questions that you want to live into. This is, again, one of those things that came to me from my pattern seeing, if you will. And it first got on my radar listening to the poet and author Maggie Smith on Adam Grant's podcast. And she shared, quote, maybe it's the poet in me. I've gotten comfortable with sort of living questions fully and not always expecting a clear answer. And honestly, I'm much more in love with things that I don't understand fully than I am by the things that I do. But I just love this concept and this idea when I heard it of living our questions as opposed to seeking the answer and then living those answers. I love when I start to see things in the world and they start to converge and I start to see these patterns form. And it happened again when I was reading The Marginalian by Maria Popova at the beginning of the year. She issued an archive that's called Elevating Resolutions from the New Year, inspired by some of humanity's greatest minds. In this newsletter issue, she featured Rainer Maria Rilke. And she shares how in 1902, he began corresponding with a 19-year-old cadet and a budding poet. And then that later, he published these letters to a young poet. In one of these letters, he wrote, quote, I beg you to have patience with everything unresolved in your heart and to try to love the questions themselves as if they were locked rooms or books written in a very foreign language. Don't search for the answers which could not be given to you now because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps then, someday far in the future, you will gradually, without even noticing it, live your way into the answer. I just love this. It was such a refreshing way to think about exploring one's ambitions or what one wants to do, which is to think about it as a question. To give you an example of this, I'm playing with a question, what is it to build belonging? And this was really inspired by my conversation with Amy Bonzel on episode 120 about making hard decisions and building belonging. Amy brought this forth, this idea that it's not about finding belonging, but building belonging. And that really resonated with me. So it's something that I'm playing with for this year. It's actually going to be one of my focus areas. I love framing it as a question. Instead of getting more clarity around what this goal is, I'm going to keep it as an inquiry around 
what is it to build belonging? So that's an example. So if you were to look at what you're exploring now, what might it look like to live into a question? The second strategy I want to talk about, I'll frame in the context of innovation and creativity. And I'll link this back to the Kinevin framework that I mentioned earlier. With these complex problems, what the framework suggests is in those states, what it requires is first scanning and then experimenting and learning in order to find a way forward. And that's very much like an innovation process. I mentioned that I do a lot of innovation work and innovation and design thinking has us think about periods of diverging when we are scanning and experimenting. And then we learn and then it allows us to converge and come to a path forward. A couple of other ways that this gets discussed. One is from Jenny Blake and her pivot method, where in particular around making career changes, she talks about this method that really aligns quite well to the Kinevin framework. Her method is around plant, scan, pilot, and launch. Plant, which is get grounded in where you are now. Scan, just like the Kinevin framework. Pilot, which is about experimentation and learning. And then she gets into launch. Creativity, you're thinking about the creative process, which is akin to innovation, is also another rubric. And I happen to be reading Rick Rubin's book on creativity right now called The Creative Act, A Way of Being. For those of you who don't know Rick Rubin, he's a founder of American Recordings and was a former co-president of Columbia Records. So he's worked with a lot of creative people and he's wrote this beautiful book on creativity. I'm still early into it. But what he talks about is there are four stages to creativity, the seed phase, the experimentation phase, the craft phase, and the completion phase. In each of these stages, it's really important to understand what stage you're in because it asks different behaviors of us. When we're in these stages of the seed phase and the experimentation phase, it's a time to allow for possibility and for experimentation, as the phase is called. What I want to call forward is that in these moments, it's really a time to be playful and to be more free and to allow for testing and learning. And we often don't give ourselves that space. We just expect to know. And yet with these complex problems, it actually takes a lot of experimentation to help us find our way. And that's what I'm calling you to do is to step into creativity, to step into experimentation, to allow yourself to learn your way towards your answers. There can be a lot of freedom in this because when you realize and really embrace the fact that like, oh, this is just a test. Oh, this is just a concept. Oh, let me just try this on. We can not be so attached. There's less angst around it. And we can actually step into a little bit more freedom and play when we realize that these are moments to explore and experiment. That's what we're doing when we're working through our ambiguity. We're prototyping things, we're trying things on, we're learning so we can gain that clarity as we go through the process. A third tool that helps is to calm ourselves down and get quiet. So when I say calm down, I don't mean to be patronizing. What I really mean 
is to calm down our nervous system. So again, for some of us, I talked about this, in times of ambiguity, in times of stress, it can trigger our sympathetic nervous system. Now, for some of us, you know, when something is complex and new, it can be exciting. But for some of us, it can cause stress. And so when our stress response is triggered, what is important to know is that it actually isn't the best mental state to be in when we are coming up with new ideas or trying to find solutions. It's better if we can shift ourselves into our parasympathetic nervous system and get ourselves to calm down, to get centered. That's what I mean by calming ourselves down. And then getting quiet is really important. I love how Pico Ayer, he's the essayist and novelist who's really well known for his travel writing. He said, quote, but it's only by having some distance from the world that you can see it whole and understand what you should be doing with it. Getting quiet, having some distance from the world is really important. And what happens for me is that I sometimes can get a little concerned that I don't have clarity. And yet, finally, when I have a little bit of space and quiet and also sprinkle in a little bit of inspiration, I'm reminded, ah, there's where the ideas are. Now insight and clarity can come to me because I actually have sufficient space and have allowed myself to get quiet to be able to start to hear some of that. So it's just a reminder that both when we're in an elevated state, our brain isn't really wired or set up to be in a ideation kind of mode and that we need that space and the ability to get quiet especially when we're trying to find ideas for ourselves. Another way to deal with ambiguity or wanting to find clarity is to also let ourselves off the hook, to stop the struggle, and to allow ourselves to actually take the easier path. So when I talk about taking the easier path, there's three ideas I want to share with you. The first one is the concept of satisficing. Satisficing is about choosing the first option that might be available to us that meets our criteria for what we're looking for. So instead of searching for the right best option, it's actually going with the option that you first encounter that satisfies you. So it allows you to stop the searching and allows you to get into motion. So along these lines, you can think about the idea of let me set out some criteria and get clear on those and then evaluate my options and see what's the first one that qualifies and choose it and move forward. So the opposite of satisfying is maximizing. This is when we look for the best solution or choice. What we can do to make things easier for ourselves is to choose a satisfying stance as opposed to a maximizing stance and stop the churn of continual searching. Another thing to consider here is if you're ambivalent about something. I think the concept of ambivalence is an interesting one because we can think that ambivalence means I don't care about something. And yet ambivalence really means that we can have strong feelings that are in opposition. It can be that you love something and hate something as a very simple example. And ambivalence is different than ambiguity, but 
I personally see them as slightly related. So you may actually be quite clear on how you feel about something. But what might be tripping you up is that you have mixed feelings about something. And one way of being able to move forward is to choose to step into that positive side of that ambivalence and to perhaps manage that negative or downside of ambivalence. And that even that negative side, what I'm characterizing as that, may not even be that. It might be something different. So if we are ambivalent, it means there is positive there. So why not lean into that positivity as opposed to leaning into the negativity? Thinking along these lines came to a third approach for me, which is sometimes I feel like I've looked at things and thought, is this it? Is this it? Is this it? Is what I'm testing now the fit for me? I think there is an opportunity in that to flip that narrative. Instead of asking, is this it? To instead embrace, this is it for now. So one thing that I can experience is that I can tell you what my long-term goals are. Often what I can't tell you and where I'm more unclear is in that two to four year time frame. But what I can get clear on is within one year, getting clear on what am I curious about exploring next and what do I want to know now and what do I want to master now? I can get more clear on what is important to me in the moment and embrace then that idea is this is it for now and allow things to change and evolve as I learn as I go along. So those three ways, satisfying, embracing ambivalence and the positivity side of things and embracing this concept of this is it for now are ways for us to take the easier path. A final concept that I'll share with you that I'm still playing with, and I'll admit, I'm still playing with even how to articulate this in quite the right way, is shaping ambitions and goals more broadly and in more empowering ways, in ways that inspire you and perhaps are rooted more in your own personal motivations. So what I'm inspired by a little bit here is this concept in science of, or what's been studied in social science around the idea of approach goals versus avoidance goals. And approach goals being goals that attract you, that you want to approach, as opposed to things you want to avoid. Research has shown that approach goals tend to be more motivating. So what I'm finding for myself as I articulate my goals for this year is that I'm appreciating moving them up a level and also making sure that I'm rooting them in my personal motivations. And so as I've played with language, if I get too specific in some of these, they can start to detract from my motivation. And so just to give you an example of this for me, like one of my higher level ambitions is around this concept of build a body of work. And frankly, this has been an ambition for a long time. That's what sustainable ambition is for me. What I love about this too, is it's an ambition that I can hold for a long time. And yes, the tactics or the projects or the goals for the year underneath it might change, but I can still hold this macro ambition that I find when it's articulated in that way is really resonant. A similar example, but perhaps you can see more contrast is around this idea of if I write down for myself, my goal and my ambition is to build my business. Honestly, that's not that motivating for me. 
But if I frame that in a context more of, well, who do I want to become now? Who do I want to be in this world now? That is a lot more inspiring and is asking, if we go back to the first prompt, a different question. I think what I'm trying to call forward here in this last suggestion, if I simplify it down to play with how you're articulating your goals to see what is more resonant for you. If you write down a goal and it doesn't get you energized, it's probably not articulated in the right way. So think about how you might be able to reframe that and frame it in a way that ties to something that is more personally motivating to you and allow your emotions to guide you. Dr. Ayelet Fishbach, who was my guest in episode 114, writes in her book, Get It Done, that quote, our feelings and emotions are highly instrumental. They provide feedback on goals. They serve us as a sensory system for motivation. So what I'm suggesting here is to use your emotions as a cue. So if you're not getting energized by how you've articulated your goal, then it may not be the right articulation and providing the clarity that you are truly seeking. So you just play with that some until you find something that is a bit more resonant. So to summarize just the five ways to get a little better with living in ambiguity and to find a level of clarity we need to put us on a path forward, those are to live into questions, to embrace innovation and creativity and more experimentation and play to calm ourselves down and to get quiet, to take the easier path, and to consider shaping our goals differently. And perhaps rather than seek absolute clarity, allow more ambiguity and calm our nerves a little bit by embracing some of these strategies. So thank you for being here with me today as we get settled into the year. I'll be back in your feed in two weeks with a new story of sustainable ambition. And in the meantime, you can find show notes for this and other episodes at sustainableambition.com slash podcast. And if you'd like to follow along on my book journey and learn more about what I am exploring and my progress, you can sign up at sustainableambition.com slash behind the book. I'll look forward to seeing you next time.